John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 18, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which had betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Burkett notes, No sooner had our dear Lord ended his divine prayer, recorded in the foregoing chapter, but he goes forth to meet his suffering with a willing cheerfulness. He retires with his disciples into a garden, not to hide and shelter himself from his enemies, for if so, it had been the most improper place he could have chosen, it being the accustomed place where he was wont to pray, and a place well known to Judas, who was now coming to seek him. Judas, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples, so that Christ repaired to this garden not to shun but to meet the enemy, to offer himself a prey to the wolves, which in the garden hunted him and laid hold upon him. He also resorted to this garden now for privacy, that he might freely pour out his soul to God. Learn hence that the Lord Jesus Christ was praying to his father in the garden when Judas with his black guard came to apprehend him. As the sin of the first Adam, which brought destruction upon his posterity, was committed in a garden, so the salutary passion of the second Adam, which was to rescue us from that destruction, did begin in a garden also. Verse 3. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Perquet notes, Observe one, what a multitude were here employed by the chief priests and Pharisees for apprehending a single person. Grown men and sword men, old and young, Jew and Gentile, all sorts of persons contriving his death, as all conditions of people were afterwards to receive benefit by it. But what need these lanterns and torches, it being then, as some observe, full moon, when they sought him in the garden? All this argued their zealous industry for our Savior's apprehension, that they might be sure to find him, in case he should hide himself in any holes or corners of the garden. Learn hence that persecutors and wicked apostates are not asleep in their designs and actings, but very vigilant and active, when at the same time Christ's own disciples and followers are asleep and careless. How active was Judas, and how watchful was his bloody crew, even at that time when Christ's disciples could not keep their eyes open. Verses 4 through 6. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, how our Lord's sufferings were all foreknown to him before they came upon him, and yet how willingly and cheerfully did he go forth to meet them. Should our sufferings be known to us before they come upon us, how would it disquiet and disturb us, yea, not only discompose us, but distract us? In great wisdom, therefore, and in tender mercy, has God concealed future events from us. But it was otherwise with Christ. He had an exact knowledge of those bitter sufferings which he was to undergo, 
and yet with a composed mind he goes forth to meet them. Jesus, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth. Lord, how endearing are our obligations to thyself, that when thou knewest beforehand the bitterness of that cup, which the justice of God was about to put into thy hand, thou didst not decline to drink it off for our sake. Observe, too, that it was not man's power, but Christ's own permission, which brought his suffering upon him. How easily could Christ have delivered himself out of his enemies' hands, who with a word from his mouth caused them to go backwards and fall to the ground? Christ, in speaking those words, did let out a little ray or beam of his deity, and this struck them down. Mark what a strange power was here in the word of Christ, and that not an angry word neither. He did not chide them and say, You wretches, how dare you lay hands on me and carry me to judgment, who shall one day be your judge. Christ said only, I am he, and down they fell. Oh, what fear will Christ send out when he cometh to judge the world, who could send forth such a fear when he yielded up himself to be judged and condemned in the world? If there was so much majesty in the voice of Christ in one of the lowest acts of his humiliation, what will the voice of a glorified Christ be to sinners when he shall come as a judge to condemn the world? Verses 7 through 9. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these others go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Burkett notes, here note, 1. How voluntarily and freely Christ laid down his life. When his enemies were fallen to the ground, he suffered them to rise again and offers himself to them to take him and carry him away. Note 2. How the sight of this glorious miracle of the soldiers falling to the ground did not deter or discourage them from their wicked purpose. They get up again and go on with their bloody design. Learn hence that obstinate and obdurate sinners will not be reclaimed by the most evident and convincing, by the most miraculous and surprising appearances of God against them. Note 3. How mindful in the midst of his suffering Christ was of his dear disciples to secure them at that time from death and danger. If you seek me, let these others go their way. That is, my disciples, against whom ye have no warrant at this time. Learn hence that Christ is so tender of his followers that he will not put them upon trial or call them forth to sufferings till they are ripe and ready, fitted and prepared for them. The disciples yet were weak and feeble, timorous and fearful, and Christ had much work and service for them to do in the world, namely to plant and propagate the gospel in foreign countries. He therefore resolves not to lose any one of them by persecution at this time. And thus was his word fulfilled, Of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Verses 10 and 11. Then Peter Simon, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. Briquette notes, observe here, St. Peter's love unto and zeal for his Lord and Master, in defense of whom he now draws his sword. But why did he not rather draw upon Judas than upon Malchus? Possibly because though Judas was most faulty, yet Malchus might be most forward to carry off our Savior. 
Oh, how doth the pious breast swell with indignation at the sight of an open affront offered unto its Savior. Observe farther the rebuke which Christ gave St. Peter for what he did. Though his heart was sincere, yet his hand was rash. Good intentions are no warrant for irregular actions. Christ will thank no man for drawing a sword in defense of him without a warrant and commission from him. To resist a lawful magistrate, even in Christ's own defense, is rash zeal and discountenanced by the gospel. Verse 11 concluded. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Burkett notes, here observe one, a metaphorical description of Christ's suffering. They are a cup put into his hands to drink off, and that by his own Father. They are a cup, and but a cup. God will not overcharge his people, and this cup is from the hand of a Father, yea, from the hand of our Father, the cup which our Father has given me. Observe, too, our Lord's resolution to drink off this cup, how bitter soever being put into his mouth by his Father's hand. Shall I not drink it? That is, I will drink it. Learn hence, one, that oftentimes the wisdom of God is pleased to put a cup, a very bitter cup of affliction, into the hands of those to drink whom he doth most sincerely love. Two, that when God doth so, it is their duty to drink it with silence and submission. Shall I not drink it? That is, I will certainly drink it with cheerfulness and resignation. Verses 12 through 14. Then the band and the captains and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Burkett notes, Judas, having made good his promise to the chief priests and delivered Jesus a prisoner bound into their hands, those evening wolves no sooner seize the Lamb of God, but they thirst and long to suck his innocent blood. Yet, lest it should look like a downright murder, they allow him a mock trial and abuse the law by perverting it to injustice and bloodshed. How impossible is it for the greatest innocence and virtue to protect from slander and false accusation? and no person can be so innocent or good whom false witness may not condemn. Verses 15 through 18. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door, without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of the man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there, who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them, and warmed himself. Burkett notes, All the four evangelists give us an account of Peter's fall in denying his master. And therein we have observable one, the sin itself which he fell into, the denial of Christ, and this backed with an oath. He swore that he knew not the man. Lord, how may the slavish fear of suffering drive the holiest and best of men to commit the foulest and worst sins? Observe, too, the occasion of his fall. 1. His presumptuous confidence in his own strength and standing. Though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. 
Lord, to presume upon ourselves is the ready way to provoke Thee, to leave us to ourselves. If ever we stand in the day of trial, tis the fear of falling must enable us to stand. We soon fall if we believe it impossible to fall. 2. Is being in bad company amongst Christ's enemies. Peter had better have been a cold by himself alone than warming himself at a fire which was compassed in with the blasphemies of the soldiers, where his conscience, though not seared, was yet made hard. Observe 3. The reiteration or repetition of this sin. He denied Christ again and again. He denied him first with a lie, then with an oath and curse. Oh, how dangerous is it not to resist the beginning of sin. If we yield to one temptation, Satan will assault us with more and stronger. Observe 4. The heinous and aggravating circumstances of Peter's sin. 1. From the character of his person. A disciple. An apostle. A chief apostle. Yet he denies Christ. 2. From the person he denies. His master. His savior. 3. The time when he denies him. Soon after Christ had washed his feet yea, soon after he had received the sacrament from Christ's own hand. How unreasonable, then, is their objection against coming to the Lord's table that some who go to it dishonor Christ as soon as they come from it. Such examples ought not to discourage us from coming to the ordinance, but should excite and increase our watchfulness after we've been there, that our after-deportment may be suitable to the solemnity of a sacramental table.